Layovers Flight 002 to San Francisco. Hello, Alex. 003, How are you? 003. Is it three already? It's three already. My goodness. Oh, You've yeah. already been I assumed in San Francisco or in Hong Kong. So I would actually miss my plane. I would have taken the wrong gate and gone to another <laughs> flight and not to Hong Kong. Yeah, see, I was attracted by Hong Kong. We, it's actually, you know, the, the, the nice thing about this show, it's actually the first show that we record after we went live with the, the entire podcast. So we, had, we actually have feedback now, and a pretty cool feedback, actually, right? It's, it's been overwhelming. It really has. I, I can't believe the amount of people that have listened, the amount of people that have, uh, that have given us really, really positive and constructive feedback from around the world. It's, it's been extremely satisfying. Yeah, we had we had uh, so we released two episodes uh, last week uh, because the first one was kind of a trial, which is why in my head it was a uh, triple zero. It was <laughs> double double two. Anyway, sorry for that. Uh, we had yeah we have great feedback uh, on Facebook, uh, all the other channels. We have a few guys that really kept us giving links and audio feedback, and there's a lot of stuff we want to improve on. Uh, so we're we're doing actually today some tests with the sound. Uh, we'll we'll see how how these how these goes. The other good good news is that the show is now available on iTunes. Uh, you can actually directly search for layovers on iTunes and or uh, follow the links that are on the website. Uh, the show is also available on uh, Pocket Casts, which is another app. I'm listing the show to other podcast as uh, apps. Sorry, uh, because a lot of people are requesting various apps that I had never heard before of. And there's a RSS feed, which is very important because this is the easiest way actually to follow the show. Uh, I'm going to actually spell it out here. It's feed.layovers.2, uh, so T-O, uh, forward slash podcast. And uh, for that, with that, you can actually add it to most of the podcast apps and RSS feeds you have and listen to the show uh, every uh, week. Right, Alex? Yeah, and uh, I'm 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 glad the whole podcast environment is a little bit weird and disorganized, and I think has been since the early days of podcasting. So having people tell us where they listen to their podcasts has been extremely useful for us to to kind of get an education on how it works, and also make sure that the show is in all of those places. So if you if you did send us that message, thank you very much. Yeah, and please continue to give us uh, any type of feedback, uh, whether it's uh, via Facebook, Twitter, etc. Uh, we try to listen as much as we can. We try to improve as much as we can uh, as well. And really, again, thank you. Thank you so much for all the warm welcome we've got, whether it's on Reddit, and etc. So uh, moving on to the news of the week. The first news of the week is another piece about the 747. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for a plane that's uh, that's supposed to be on its way out, there's a lot of people talking about it. And this story uh, I, f I found on that, uh, that venerable uh, news and rumor website, airliners.net. Um, and uh, apparently... Indirectly, Boeing is being. Uh, or I should I should phrase this very carefully because it's causing a lot of consternation. That a pitch to Emirates for 10747800 has been given or is going to be given. Uh, this was on a uh, on a site called uh, Liam News and Analysis, which is a, uh, a kind of an airline uh, analysis and forum blog, and. Uh, it's murky and and strange that uh, this story would even come up, but apparently this pitch, which isn't coming from Boeing, so I don't know who it's coming from, and is not going to the CEO of, of uh, Emirates, it's going to the chairman of Emirates. So there's a lot of speculation that this might be some political pressure, it might even be something uh, from Airbus to say, uh, uh, you know, look at the options, look at the competition, you've got no choice but to go with an A380. Um, I, personally, I think it's a long shot. I, I, I couldn't imagine this slotting in. People are saying it could get stapled onto the back of a, a 787 or a 777X uh, 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 deal for the middle of middle of this year. I don't know, Paul. Do you do you give this story any uh, credibility? It's all right. I mean, that they've pitched. It's entirely possible. After all, we know that the uh, 
like we said last week and the week before, the 747-8 uh, is not really a success. Actually, I think they currently only produce 1.5 jet a month, so basically 18 jets a year, which is not a lot. Uh, they had some cancellations, actually. I mean, again, Lufthansa is the biggest uh, order. They are... Uh, the problem I have is that, you know, there's a, obviously a lower capacity than the A380. It's only slightly better than the 777X. Uh, uh, and the 777X has the advantage of having only two engines. Uh, so it's uh, it's pretty good uh, fuel efficiency. So I, I, I don't see the... Uh, the, only, the, the only advantage it would be is that... Uh, Compared, if you would, if we removed a triple seven from the equation, it's true that the uh, 748 has um, less fuel consumption and, and a lower cash operating cost than the A380. So that could be something. Which seems to be something Tim Clark talks a lot about. The CEO of Emirates is the, he wants a 10% reduction in costs on, for the eighth, new A380 program. So that maybe that's what the angle that they're going for. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same. I think is it is it some kind of pressure to because we mentioned that you know Emirates is a bit pushing for the A380 to have to be re-engined. So maybe that's a you know angled pressure to say, look, if if you guys at Airbus don't do anything about that program, we might just just put all our business with Boeing. Uh, I don't know. By the way, talking about the A380, a slight piece of news here is uh, not uh, there's a rumor that Turkish is actually looking into buying ten. A380s as well, so that could. It be seems like it would be a good fit for their uh, for their strategy model. and brand and their model, yeah. So uh, we'll see. I'm I'm not sure that yeah. it's actually something that will. You of course, Alex and myself would be very pleased to see more seven four seven in the air. Uh, but besides that, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that unfolds. Uh, next piece of news, it's, uh, I mean, we've heard about it's a bit more uh, sadly more uh, tragic. We've heard about people falling from cliffs, taking selfies, and we've heard of, of, of people crashing their cars after taking a selfie, so this, this is huge selfie craze, but I think it's the first time that we have an official report about a plane crashing because of a selfie, so there was a, I think it was a small plane, uh, the uh, NTSB, so the National Transportation Safety Board, which is um, the U.S. body that investigates plane crashes, uh, found uh, after a crash a GoPro that was filming the cockpit and that GoPro, GoPro revealed that the passengers were I'm going to quote here, various passengers were taking self-photographs with their cell phones and during the night flight using the camera's flash function during the takeoff in the initial climb and flight in the traffic pattern. Oh my god. Yeah. And apparently that led to a spatial, that's another term they use, spatial disorientation, which led to a stall, which led to a crash. It's a, uh, the, the reason I mentioned that is that it, there's this huge selfie craze that everybody takes selfies. Alex and I do not take a lot of selfies if you just look at our, at our feeds, but it's, it's, it's a bit sad and it's, uh, I hope that will, that will be a kind of a wake-up call for many people to stop fooling around. You're still flying a, an airplane, right? You're not just... Yeah, it's apparently the weather was bad too, and yeah, yeah. the guy didn't have the uh, the certifications to fly in instrument conditions or with, at night with passengers. So, I mean, goodness me, what a what a fool! I mean, it, it's a tragedy, and and it's not it's not funny, but it's a it's a lesson to any uh, any budding pilot that when you're flying a plane, that's what that's all you should be doing is flying a plane, especially with other people on board. Yeah, it's like the don't text and drive, so don't take selfies and fly. And fly, for God's sake. <laughs> so coming back to London, uh, we, we discussed about Gatwick and, and uh, Ethrow, but you have another piece of news about the third airport here in London. The only airport that's technically in London, which is London Correct. City Airport, and by far my favorite airport in London. What a, what a wonderful little airport um, for so, so many reasons. Um, but they just got the green light to expand what is a very small airport at the moment in every every way capacity. It's a very short runway, so short actually that, that only certain planes uh, can fly in and pilots have to be certified to shoot a very uh, interesting and exciting approach. But they did get this $200 million uh, investment green light that's going to allow them to uh, add more flights because of uh, infrastructure upgrades um, and more capacity through terminal expansion and they're putting a lot of that money also into um, noise abatement admirably because it is right in the middle of the city uh, city of London uh, as well 
Obviously, as with any airport expansion, it's not been universally well received. A lot of the residents are a little bit upset, um, which in, in some regards is understandable, but this is a, a, a good, important airport, and I'm glad to see that uh, this decision has been made. If you, ha if you haven't had a chance to fly in or out of, of Lucy, as it's uh, colloquially known, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful little airport, and I, I, I encourage it. Yeah, actually, they're not expanding the the runway itself. The runway yeah. will stay. They 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 expanding the taxiway though, so that actually should speed up uh, the the number of flights because since the taxiway is very limited, again, this this is a very city airport. Uh, they have a limitation into how many flights can take off and land, so that should actually speed up the traffic. They also add some stands. They were built over. Actually, not a lot of people know that. A part of it is built over existing piers. Uh, it's the Royal Albert Dock and I think the uh, King George V Dock. And there was some part of the, the expansion will be built over new piers that are I mean, built over these loose docks to actually allow. And I think the terminal will also be slightly expanded. And there's almost, for those who have never flown there, it's a, it's, it's a little cube. There's, uh, the advantage is that you can go there basically 40 minutes before a flight and still make it. Yes, absolutely, because there's all business travelers, isn't it, who, who know exactly what they're doing when they get through security. So yeah, and it, ca through. it caters to the city in London, so it's very, you know, uh, the financial district of the city, and Canary Wharf is the other financial district of the city of London. So basically, it, 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 there's no, but there's no a lot of amenities. That's why people, it surprises a lot of people. There's not like a business lounges and stuff. It's really limited, but that's the point. You actually go there and immediately in the plane. You can go very, very fast. So that's very appreciative. Yeah, appreciative. It's, it's a great little airport. Um, fun to fly into because like normally at an airport, the glide slope or the angle at which you're approaching the runway when you're landing is around two to three degrees. Because of its position within the city, um, with buildings all around it, they have to drop it in pretty quickly. So when it first opened, it was seven and a half degrees, which is unheard of. I think it's the, that was the second uh, <laughs> most extreme glide slope in a in a commercial airport. Now they've reduced it a little bit. I think it's but, six, right, or five, five. Yeah, five and a half. So it's still, but it's still pretty good, pretty good fun. It's a, it's a great little airport, and I'm delighted by this piece of news. Um, next is not exactly news. I mean, uh, so if you were reading uh, the blog, so we, we write some news. We know that we haven't been writing a lot in the, in the past weeks, especially because we were preparing that podcast. And we don't plan actually to write every day I, either. We really, uh, a lot of the effort will be made on these, on these um, podcasts here. But I mentioned a piece of news about a documentary that uh, will be released called Living in the Age of Airplanes. I think I was in the summer. Uh, it's a documentary that was um, uh, filmed in 18 countries across all continents talking about how basically aviation, aviation changed the world and it's narrated by none other than Han Solo, so Harrison Ford. <laughs> uh, there's the, uh, the, uh, the trailer, the teaser trailer is already online, it's been up for a few months, but uh, Nat Geo uh, will, uh, has announced that he will distribute it in cinemas uh, in April, uh, so that's pretty cool because the I will uh, I will put obviously the link on on the show notes. You should watch if you love airplanes. You should definitely watch even the teaser trailer. So well done. It's fascinating. It's something that I really want to see. And for all those aviation geeks around, you really will will want to see this, right? I cannot wait to see this movie. The trailer is just it's just airplane porn, and it's just it's it's beautifully done. And I'm I'm I hope they do a, a how they made it or behind the scenes. As well, because I'm uh, some of the shots that look like they've got look um, amazing. Um, yeah. And Harrison Ford is a great, such a great guy to do it because not only does he have a, a wonderful voice, he's also a total airplane nerd, uh, and he's been flying his own planes for for decades. Uh, so I and I think they're releasing it in IMAX too, so it'll be just spectacular. Yeah, it will be. I hope it's great. I mean, obviously the Nagio deal. I think it's. U.S., but I really hope that it will come in other countries, especially to see it on a big screen. I mean, we'll see that. Uh, talking about big, but now, you know, the big news of last week was because it was a dashboard cam that caught a plane crash. It was really impressive. Another tragic piece of news. Alex? Yeah, this this uh, Taiwan TransAsia uh, plane that, that uh, crashed just after takeoff in, uh, in Taipei, uh, is really extraordinary for, for for many reasons. The first is, as as Paul said, the the dash cam footage captures this plane skimming across the runway, hitting a taxi. Uh, people survived, which is 
wonderful and and, and miraculous. Um, yeah, it's miraculous because when you when you look at the footage, you're like, oh, damn, this it, will, there's no way anybody survives this. Yeah, and it's an ATR-72, um, and it sounds like there was a flame out. The, the pilots, I think, did their best, but there's some some news emerging, and they took the unprecedented step of releasing cockpit data uh, recording analysis before the investigation had been completed. And it looks like, although it's not confirmed, that the pilots then turned off the wrong engine, i.e. they turned off wow. the still-functioning engine, which wow. we don't know. I mean, we won't know, I don't think, if that was ultimately the reason for the crash, but I, it certainly wouldn't have helped. And, um, you know, gosh, there's so many things going on, I would imagine, when, in a situation like that. And I, it, it probably was an easy thing to do to pull the wrong lever down, but... Yeah, the, actually, the, uh, the Taiwan Civil Aeronautics Administration, the CAA, uh, has actually mandated that all the ATR pilots are being to be retested. So uh, there's uh, actually the Trans, uh, TransAsia had to cancel a lot of flights uh, during the weekend that are still canceling today and tomorrow, uh, today being Monday, because I know that the show is not exactly live. Sorry, guys. Uh, so this is... Uh, I mean, well, the investigation, as you said, is not done. Uh, the the dashboard cam, I'm sure you've seen it. Will you know the link will be on the show? Obviously, it's a bit it's it's tragic, uh, and I hope that it was not uh, the pilot error because that really would have been a big ah well oops. But anyway, I don't know. It's in those situations, I've never been one in in one of those, and I'm not even talking about being a passenger. There's so many things that happens that it's true that I don't know. Maybe it was just a bad a bad omen. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tragedy, and I think that um, you know the, that the pilots were able to issue a mayday call and have already figured out that what the cause was an an engine flame out, which has been confirmed by the initial flight data recording um, output is. Extraordinary and admirable, and that there were survivors is also amazing, and um, you know we should be thankful for that. But uh, gosh, what a! I think that this one is has picked has been picked up by the media because of that extraordinary footage, and I I hope that out of it we get some learnings and and we can avoid like things like this in the future. Yes, uh, moving on to the uh, innovation part, tech part of the of the news uh, first. <laughs> Uh, we talk about lower, low-cost uh, careers a lot here on this show, and uh, there's a so Scoot. Scoot is a subsidiary of Singapore Airlines, and uh, what they've done uh, in their economy class, uh, because they have a Scoot base, which is some kind of business class, but economy class, they have a small uh, power outlet, so you can actually charge your devices where you fly. The innovation and I know it will anger some people, is that now you'll have to pay to actually get no it. No way. <laughs> they really? say, yeah, so you say it's a five Singaporean dollars for short-haul flights and eight for a long-haul flight, and uh, you would actually have to do it while you board. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a new piece of revenue. I'm not sure how it will fly, uh, but... <laughs> I'm sure it will anger uh, a lot of people and maybe give ideas to other uh, other low-cost airlines. Although, and I don't know about you, uh, Alex, I haven't been in a lot of low-cost airlines where there were any plugs available. That's the no. Well, exactly. And um, the current fleet, bar one, I think, of Scoot are X Singapore Airlines 7772s, um, but there will be an all 787 airline, Correct. I think, by the end of this year. Yeah. So they they probably had inherited the the outlets and and now will have have ordered their new planes with them. But that's not a cheap that's not a small amount of money, is it? It's quite no, a lot of money. <laughs> but you know, it's people will pay for it. They want their gadgets. Well, I would pay for it definitely. Uh, so we know. I mean, I'm I, I'm not a full. I don't have interest in Wi-Fi, but I would definitely pay for. It. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, we'll see if that expense, if that idea expands or not. Talking about low-cost airlines, the orange one has uh, news that uh, yeah. makes you cringe a bit. I it think. does, it does. I th uh, although I'm softening my stance a little bit on this. So EasyJet, uh, in celebration of their 20th anniversary, have released a new um, livery. And, uh, I mean, it's the, the current livery is pretty hard to miss. It's the white fuselage with the big... Uh, orange letters and tail, but the 
the new one is frankly kind of boring. Um, it's just a, it's just kind of a wedge, an orange wedge that goes up across the fuselage. Um, we'll post a picture on the show notes, but it's it's kind of dull. I mean, I get that you know you don't want to paint a, pl a plane entirely in orange because the more paint you have, the more weight on the airplane and cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, their rationalization and and the the reason for it is that it reflects the current brand identity and advertising that they have, which to me is not a great way of uh, uh, of justifying your livery because advertising campaigns change, you know, every couple of years. Liveries change every six years at the least for EasyJet. Um, I don't know if you've noted because for me the most striking. I'm not a big fan either, but maybe I'll get used to it. You know, that's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a judgment right now. But what I've noticed the most Noticeable thing is they dropped dot com. Yes. Only says EasyJet. It used to say EasyJet.com, so they dropped the kind of this internet, you know, URL. So what do you think about that part though? I think that they um when they started and, and anybody listening jump in and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I think at the beginning you could only book on EasyJet through their website. And this was also around the time when the internet wasn't as pervasive as it was. So they had to sort of really ram home that message of that's where you go to book a flight. Now people know that there's so many different avenues to book a flight that it's it seems um less obvious and also I think that there's there's a real desire within EasyJet to elevate their image slightly from uh, ultra low-cost carrier to something more accessible to the business traveler so they've introduced this whole new line of, of um, business friendly fares they push really hard that they go to um, primary airports in cities and there's a rumor that they're going to be introducing a loyalty program as well so I think that that might also have something to do with dropping the dot-com yeah it's true I mean it, it, it's uh, it's certain that uh, starting with the financial crisis in 07 08 etc you, you've seen a lot of corporates uh, deciding to move their business away for their traditional airlines uh, just for to cut costs and uh, I've, I fly EasyJet and I've seen more and more actually business people flying EasyJet as well uh, and I think that you know it, it, it's a good call from the from the company. They they, they won't introduce like a, a business uh, section cabin, but they already you can already if you have uh, some kind of system of uh, priority system to get the best seats in front, the emergency exits. They, they kind of try to cater for some business people to have something extra, like you first first in line and better seats because you have some leg room and stuff. So I think it's. It's, it's it's a smart strategy because they're seeing that a lot of the the big corporations again are, are moving away their business. They, cannot, they do not afford. They cannot afford paying you know business class and in Europe at least anymore. Mm. Plus, I mean business class in Europe. The, I mean I've I've flown business class in Europe. It's basically the same cabin. That yeah, the seat blocked off between the two of you. Right? <laughs> so there's no difference. Um, where were we now? Uh, I've oh yeah, rise. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, so there's there's a lot of new models that emerge with uh, with uh, flights, uh, especially with so short haul flights uh, that are not entirely commercial. So meaning with different type of of, uh, of aircrafts. Here here it's uh, Beechcraft King Air 350. We're talking a series of of these aircrafts. Uh, so it's a, it's a new system that it's only based in, in Texas for the moment. Uh, I think it's launching. It hasn't launched yet. It's a private air travel membership. So you pay, I think, uh, $16,000. Um, no, it's not dollars so $1,600. Sorry for that. That's the, the lowest uh, possibility. And you, and you have basically a, a, a number of, of travels per month between cities. And it's this, you know, this eight-seater aircraft. And you travel in style. And you can do, whether it's for business and and for, for leisure. But the point is that instead of actually buying a, a ticket, you're buying a membership. So uh, do you think it's something, and, 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 yeah, and sorry, and of course, because that's a trend, you'll have a mobile app, and during the mobile app, you can say, oh, I need the next plane to Dallas, and the next plane to Houston, and et cetera, and you can do, it's, it, it, what do you think of that? So this it's very similar to Surf Air uh, right. in in California, and when I I think we talked about this maybe on the first show that when I first heard about Surf Air I wasn't hugely optimistic because I started an airline I see I know how much it costs I know how long the certification process takes, but I was happily proven wrong and Surf Air are making a real go of it, 
Um, I thought, oh, well, there's copying the model of Surfair. But it turns out that uh, the guy that is the uh, chairman was the, fo- was the founder and former CEO of Surfair. Correct, exactly. <laughs> so, so it sounds like they're doing the same thing in Texas. And if they can, ha- if they can get half the success that Surfair seems to be having, then I think they'll make a real go of it, especially in a in a state the size of Texas. Um, so, you know, I wish them the best. I, I think this model fills a nice niche between airline travel, business travel, and um, you know, just plain private jet. Do, do, do you think that's a model that we'll eventually see in Europe? I mean, I haven't searched. Is there actually something like that in Europe? I'm not I sure. don't think so, not yet. But it, I, I don't think it's going to be too long before we do we see this. Um, it's a, obviously a, a hugely capitally intensive uh, business. Um, I think, I think Surfair raised like 75 million bucks um, in in debt and equity over there. I think they've been around for only three or four years. So. But yes, I'm sure that we will. I'm sure we'll see something similar. Where they'll be based, probably somewhere like Geneva, um, <laughs> somewhere central like that. But it'll be interesting to see. And I think this model is 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 now being proven and, and will be replicated as a result. Yes. So moving back to larger aircrafts, uh, 787 again, the Dreamliner, in Japan. Yeah, so the JAL, Japan Airlines, have released... Um, their 7879 cabin, and it really is stunning for uh, for a number of different reasons. I found this on the wonderful blog, The Designer. Oh yeah, I love that. TheDesigner.net, um, and so the 7879 has a maximum capacity of 420 passengers in its in its kind of tightest configuration. On the JAL 7879, there will only be 195 passengers. Oh, That's wow. Amazing. Um, that's nearly double the space. So there'll be 44 business class seats, 35 premium economy, and the rest only 116 regular economy. Um, and the regular economy is 242, not nine across. <laughs> so, so uh, when you when you when you think that United is moving to 10 across, <laughs> thinking of moving to 10 across, you're like, wow. <laughs> and the 787 is a wide airplane, so that's going to be. So nice, um, and I think it's it's intermediary distance, middle distance. So they're going to be using it from like Japan to Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Hong Kong, probably. Um, so that's business routes as well. Let's be fair. So I think yeah, yeah. I think good on them to reverse the trend of trying to cram as many of us as they can into a single cabin. It's really refreshing to see an airline do this. I, I, I've been flown with with uh, pretty much. I, I mean, a, a lot. I used to live in Japan, so I've flown with a few uh, uh, Japanese uh, carriers, of course, child more A and eight because of my allegiances to the, the the other alliance. But it's true that overall, I always found them pretty roomy. And I'm you know I'm six four, uh, one ninety five centimeters if you want to talk in metric. So I'm actually pretty big, and I've already I always found that it was okay. Oh, not every I mean not every single aircraft. You know, flying economy from Frankfurt to Japan on ANA seven four seven is not that great for anybody my my height. But it's always been interesting. Uh, they've also had I think it was ANA. They had that, you know, uh, the, the, there's the whole, and we we'll, might actually have that as a as a topic of a show once, uh, the whole recl- recline issue, you know, should people be allowed to recline in front of you, and you know, there's a whole, there's been actually a lot of disruption in, in recent months in, in, some, in some travels because some passengers got very angry at some other people reclining, and what they did, A&A, they internalized the recline. So your seat, and you might have seen that in some trains sometimes, the seat wouldn't actually recline. The seat would actually the, the, the seat would actually go slightly forward. So you'd have an angle, but it was still within your own zone. You yeah, know, the clamshell. Say the clamshell. So it's, it's, it, they always try to do stuff. The... Uh, I've seen because I've seen just a picture on the on the business the uh, the 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 the, uh, the gel, uh, seat is the I think it's a B aerospace it's the one that I've seen I think BA uses them and uh, Korean Air I think as well or they're introducing them it's a, it's a pretty cool seat actually it it also allows so I don't, I don't 
We'll see. Uh, I, I, I hope I can actually fly that plane with that configuration and take some pictures. Uh, that's a good enough reason for me to actually go to Japan again, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Jal, if you're listening, uh, we would absolutely be honored to, uh, to fly on the site. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, back to Europe, and since I just mentioned Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt is an airport I, I, I do a lot of layovers at. Uh, I know that, uh, Alex, you do too. Um, I fly a lot of Sansa. And one thing we mentioned last week that uh, Gatwick was announced that they wanted to, you know, kind of remove the cues of, you know, the waiting times, basically. But in talking about waiting times, without promising anything, the Frankfurt Airport has pretty, something pretty cool on their mobile, on their mobile app. You can now have a real-time uh, view of the waiting times at security and at passport control. And I think that's actually really, really useful. I, would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I usually, I don't know about you, I don't download airport apps. I also avoid to download too many airline apps because at the end I could have like, you know, dozens and dozens on my, on my, on my iPhone. But that is... A, enough good reason to actually download the app because that will really help me actually knowing and not only that you can actually navigate you can also figure out the shortest route between two points on the app and that's amazing that's incredibly helpful at Frankfurt because and I, I still don't know the pattern yet but there are sometimes when I'm transiting through Frankfurt when you have to go through security in between your flights and if there's no if there's no security and you're like I have a 40 minute Layover, uh, I'll make it. But if you have to go through security, that's when you start to yeah. panic. I never, I never understood that. I know that we suffer here, both living in London, in London, because we're not the UK is not part of Schengen, so you have to go again past uh, passport control. And I think that depending on where you land, which gates you are at at Frankfurt, you have to go through like security. And, and we're talking about international security. You are mingled with people traveling overseas, and sometimes it takes you up to 20, 30 minutes. Just <laughs> I've missed planes because of that, and I'm not bashing Frankfurt. I'd really say that next time I'll use the app to know where I'm at and actually go the fastest route possible. That would be really useful, and I encourage other airports to do the same thing because it's really one of the biggest pain points in travel is not to know how much time security uh, will will take. And you know that's for me one of the best the best solution was just to know oh. It's going to be half an hour, ten minutes, or two hours. Yeah, it's nice to see an airport being proactive and using technology to solve an obvious, obvious problem. Uh, a small, a small one again for me because uh, the the founders of Friends, um, WonderTab. So if you have a, if you're on your desktop and you, you have Google Chrome installed, which is a browser, uh, you can uh, install now uh, an extension called WonderTab. And every time you open a new tab, basically, instead of having the blank new tab, you'll have a very nice picture of a destination uh, with a very good deal as well. It's really beautiful. Oh, done. that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's very dangerous. So it's it's a brainchild from Hitlist. Hitlist is the app that actually you can, and we'll talk about it one day, it's an app that you just tell tell it where you want to go, and at, and then it, it gives you back information. Oh, now there's a good time because there's a good deal. So basically, it's, it's kind of a companion to that experience. It's really well done. The images are really nice, but as as, as Alex just said, it's extremely dangerous. But I will put the link, and we'll have uh, the found, one of the founders on the show soon. Uh, and talking about that, since we have, we're moving then to the app of the week, I just wanted to say that we had a lot of requests of people wanted to be guests, which is great. I mean, we honestly are, again, overwhelmed by the demand and the, the positive feedback. We will open the show to guests in a few episodes. We're still, like as we said at the, uh, at the inception of this show, we're still testing it out, but we will definitely have, uh, have guests. So uh, thank you so much for all of you guys that have... Uh, shown interest in it. Moving to the app of the week, uh, Hipmunk. Do you use Hipmunk? I, I do. I think it's a great uh, great app. So Hipmunk is one of these uh, apps simply to, apps and a website, it's both, to simply uh, book, you know, find the best ticket fare. Uh, well, that will be, by the, in, in a minute, we'll talk about these systems overall. The reason I wanted to, uh, I chose Hipmunk this time, uh, it's one of my favorite apps to actually find uh, find the best ticket fare. They have something that I really like. It's called the Agony. Uh, so usually when you do you go through these kind of apps, uh, you'll have the best price, right? And then you can play around with the number of stopovers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
the agony price is interesting because it's just and it's not that magic. It's a combination. The, the way they display you the results when they say I want to go from here to here, uh, they'll display the result with a combination of price, flight time, and soap over. So they say, okay, the agony. So what is the best overall experience from point A from to point B? Because okay, that's cheap, but you know maybe that's cheap, but you'll take like forty. Four hours, I mean, that happened to me sometime. 44 hours to go to, to point A to point B, whereas with this one, we actually have a better flight experience because it's shorter and has less soapovers. And, and I really enjoy the, the way it's also designed. It's both, again, on mobile and on the desktop. The both actually work together. If you log in, you can actually save searches, etc. So it's, it's really, really well done. Uh, and I encourage you to, to use it. Yeah, I, I like it as well. It's one of the the first few places I go to when I'm looking for for fares, and you know they're not doing anything revolutionary to get you cheaper fares, but the way that they, as Paul said, the way that they display the information is reasonably revolutionary by doing it in a almost like a Gantt chart fashion to show not just price but also duration and stops. In in relation to all of the other all of the other flight results, which is which is so so helpful, and the agony thing is nice, which is I think it's just pri it's price, duration, and layovers, or stopovers. Um, but I think they also should do like you know age of airplane and you know <laughs> stuff like that. It's, that's that's pretty interesting stuff. But I like them. I think they're great. They're, it was started by one of the, the guys who started Reddit. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Um, so, or it was early one of the earliest employees of Reddit at the very least. But yeah, it's a it's a great way to find flights, and it's usually one of the places I stop. It is quite U.S. centric, I found. Correct. Um, but it is that doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. I think it's a I think it's a good, uh, good starting point to find good fares. So talking about keeping on the subject because that's the main topic of the week uh, all these OTAs so all these online travel agents that you can use and there are apps and there are services etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, Alex dad <laughs> finally <laughs> discovered uh, the I ITA match ma matrix so it's, you were just saying that oh you would like to know the age of the plane so I don't, I'm not sure you can do the age of the plane or the ATA matrix matrix sorry but you can can do so many things on that one, uh, and we'll get then to the meat of the subjects. But you can actually exclude specific airports you don't want to stop over at. You can uh, disallow the red the red eye flights out out of your research. You can uh, say that you want uh, the max connection time should be that amount, the minimum connection time should be that other amount. You can also search by booking class, which is actually very rare that you are able to do. It's all a bit of command line uh, a, meaning that it's not. Uh, Totally, the, 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 the interface is a bit, um, is it, not very intuitive at the very beginning, uh, but it's something that is, so uh, that, that, that allows me to introduce, that, that's the topic of the week, having, what do you use as, to find a, a, a ticket price? Do you use Matrix? Yes, yeah, so yeah, Matrix is, is, uh is an interesting piece of software. It's kind of like a piece of exhaust from a broader product. So ITA um, had this came up with this product called um, QPX or QPIX, um, which was the backbone for companies like Orbit and Kayak and Cheap Tickets and then also airlines, big airlines, American Airlines, um, United, US Airways, Virgin Atlantic, use it as their primary um, kind of ticketing and reservation system, global distribution service, that type of thing. So it's really kind of at the um, very start of the whole distribution process, which I always think is where you should start when you're looking for a ticket, because you're not kind of adding layers of people taking 2% here and 5% there. <laughs> um, but the ITA matrix is complicated. You have to be very comfortable with fare codes and um, airport three-letter codes and all of that type of stuff, and it, it's not giving you Hitmonk-like results. But if no, you know no, sorry. And I will actually uh, post a link on the show notes where it has kind of a cheat sheet so you can be able to actually, if you want oh, to try it out, you'll have idea. some of it. Yeah, yeah. Go, go on, sorry. No, so it's, it, it, Google bought ITA, um, let's see, quite a while ago, three or four years ago. Um, and they've, in turn, created Google Flight Search, which is a simplified version of the Matrix, but not nearly as powerful as, or as versatile. 
but extremely fast. I mean, oh, we, yeah. we, we just thought it's interesting because Google's a bot IT. A lot of people are a bit uh, scared. Oh, Google is going into travel. What's going to happen? And pretty much not a lot of stuff happened for a while, right? No, the, uh, ITA still goes on. It's actually been like uh, rebuilt by, by Google. It's hosted, obviously, now by Google. It's it's faster than it used to be, that's for sure. But the interface hasn't changed a lot, though. Like you just said, Google flights. So if you just do Google.com uh, forward slash flight, you can have a really, really, really fast search engine for flights. It really works well. To be honest, uh, I said as I said before, I out of habit, I still use Hipmunk. Uh, usually one of my first destination point. But more and more, I also use Google Flight just because of the sheer speed of that thing. It just goes really, really, really rapidly. And uh, but it's interesting because they really haven't advertised it a lot. No, I I don't think they're 100% happy with it. Would be my guess. But um, it does pr provide great results. Um, my first part of call for any stand well reasonable. I don't think I ever take starts flights that are totally standard. But if it's reasonably standard, like I know. Where I'm going and kind of when I'm going, I I gravitate towards kayak. Um, do, you, do you actually sorry? Do you actually use any direct uh, website from airlines or apps from airlines, or you just go to OTAs? Um, up until recently, if it was international and it was a place that they served, I almost went straight to Virgin because I was a gold card holder on Virgin. I had points to redeem. Um, but Virgin actually took away some of the uh, functionality on their website that allow you to search by fare class. Um, and I wrote a couple of blog posts about this on my own blog. But uh, to you can't just upgrade any old fare. Like, let's say you book a fare in economy. Um, you can't just automatically then say, okay, I want to use my miles to upgrade to upper class. You have to book in a certain fare bucket, and there's usually between seven and nine fare buckets per seat which is where it starts to get really complicated. But uh, the Virgin Atlantic site used to allow you to search for a specific fare class, so you could find the cheapest upgradable fare really, really easily. They took that away. I don't know why. Um, but on ITA Matrix, you can. You can say, I want to fly on this route on Virgin uh, with these fare classes, knowing that they're they're upgradable, and it would give you the results and the prices. So, if you are are a frequent flyer who upgrades or does mileage runs, uh, IT metrics is an indispensable tool. Uh, agreed, agreed. The the other one we mentioned it last week that is fun to play with is Adioso. Uh, is this site? It's they have no uh, mobile equivalent, but uh, it's a normal mobile app. But this is a site where you can do a lot of things in a very uh, UI friendly manner. Uh, you can again. I will use an example that I think I mentioned last week, and say I want to go to, I don't know, let's say Narita, and uh, but I'm ready to fly whenever uh, in the next year, and I want to go there for roughly five days. And you just put that, and then it looks at. This is a different way of looking at pricing. That just saying, okay, I know that we'll fly on December 23rd and come back on January 1st, something like that. It, this one allows for a little bit more of of freedom. Uh, it's it's really well done. Again, not I've not heard about it a lot. Meaning that it it, it seems to be, to have been around for quite a while. I'm not sure they're going anywhere. I mean, it works fine, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's been the development has been abandoned, but I haven't really heard anything from them in in quite a long time. But it's still a very cool tool to play with, especially if you're not willing to play a lot with all these uh, bizarre codes that Matrix uh, allows you to play with. Uh, the other thing that's interesting because about Google is that actually, it's true that Google you will you might not actually know about Google uh, Flight, but in the search engine itself, if you just enter a query of flight from two, it will display you a box on top which has uh, some very interesting features as well. Uh, not only that, we also actually if you're using Gmail, that same box will appear to actually it will find within your Gmail. Uh, your booking reservations and actually take it off and you, you'll have a display of what are your next flight. So actually Google might not directly go into the, the, the market for to be a, a, an OTA in a certain way, but 
they still help people that just use a basic search engine to look for flights because uh, there, there really is a report. Um, it's called uh, the, the Travel's Road to Decision. Uh, so obviously, if you read that report, and I will link it in the show notes, they say, but I think rightfully so, that a lot of people now start uh, planning by just Googling stuff. They just go on Google and say, okay, uh, and that applies both for uh, leisure and business travelers. One of the findings I find interesting is that, and we, the exchange between Alex and me show that there's not one major OTA that is the winner takes it all. There's uh, there's brand recognition amongst you know the kayaks and the sky scanner and Hipmunk are obviously smaller uh, and uh, I, I forgot one. There's one other big that I, I keep forgetting. Uh, but there's not like a definitive one people go to. So. That's the advantage for any player now. You can, and this is maybe why we see a lot of actual advertising, especially in the UK, from all these all these sites that help you book flights, because there's not like this one big site has taken all the mindshare. Whereas yeah. in, in hotels, it has been more the case. In hotels, you have that trip, trip advisor is really a, a huge mindshare. Not that the others don't have a, a chance of Booking.com and the hotels.com, but in flight, there's not. I mean, maybe maybe uh, maybe you think I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I actually agree with you, but I think there's a reason, or my theory is that there's travelers are different. They have different needs. They have different um, amounts of information they need to be comfortable with before they make a booking decision. Not just quantity, but type of information. So um, a business traveler is going to want, um, you know, flights that can be changed or at a very specific time from very specific airports, uh, whereas a leisure traveler is going to be looking more at a price um, and, and not so much about flexibility so I th and, and and those different different um, products cater to those different needs and also there's that there's that weird thing between an aggregator which is kind of like what kayak is where you don't book through kayak correct um, in some cases you do for hotels but you are then sent to a different site to fulfill. Um, there are the OTAs like the Expedias and the Orbits of the world that you book through. Um, and then there's the Googles of the world who are kind of in this blurred area uh, as well. And here's an another thing that's really important to know about ITA Matrix. You cannot book a flight on ITA Matrix. It won't even send you to the website. You almost without exception have to call the airline to get that fare because they're usually so complex. So um, that's that's worth knowing. But actually, one other thing on, on the ITA matrix, if you are comfortable with its antiquated interface, um, you can find some extraordinary deals because of uh, this little feature that says, I want to fly out of London or any airport within 750 miles or 1,000 miles of it. So. Okay, Alex, that doesn't sound very practical. Okay, let me explain. <laughs> In the UK, we have something called air passenger duty, which is a arbitrary tax that the government applies to uh, flights to just about everywhere outside of the EU, and it increases the cost of your ticket substantially. Now, if I go from London to Dubai, let's do London to Hong Kong, and my price is 700 pounds, um, but if I then say, let's look around at other airports in the area, if it finds a fare out of Dublin where they don't have air passenger duty, it could drop it by 250 quid. And all I'm paying for is a 35-pound Ryanair flight to Dublin to, to, to catch that, that connecting flight. So that little bit of, of uh, inconvenience can, can save you hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and that is the type of... Uh, power search that the ITA metrics lets you do that the others just don't. Actually, uh, the same report from Google showed something that you just mentioned is that it's true that because of the needs of, of, of the, the business travelers, business travelers still have a tendency either to have a travel desk, uh, obviously, so you know the American Expresses of the world, or actually to go directly to the airline uh, site or app. So they have, because like you said just earlier about you, I go to Virgin America because I have my loyalty miles there, and I w I'm able to know the. I mean, at least you're not able anymore, but you, you have you were able to know the booking class, and you wanted to get upgraded or something. This is something that still is caters more to business class people. I do the same thing, you know. I, I there will be flights that will go directly to Lufthansa and or Swiss and or Emirates because I know that this is what I need. I have my alliance there. I need to get upgraded, etc. So I will use those. For, 
those uh, those um, those sites directly. The other thing, uh, so I'd say Matrix is not mobile friendly though. No. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't need to, right? But that's the thing that is also interesting is to see that more and more, for a long time, a lot of people wouldn't have actually bought a ticket on their mobile. They would have made some research on their mobile, especially maybe, you know, on commute or when they have a few, you know, like mobile snacking is what I heard the other day. There was I was I was heading this uh, uh, travel uh, roundtable by Criteo, which is a, a, a French uh, internet giant, and they... Uh, <laughs> There was these guys mentioned mobile snacking that you would just you know start looking for stuff because you have five minutes and but you would not the end of the funnel of the purchasing decision will not end on mobile. Whereas now more and more actually happen. You do you, do you ever buy a ticket on your mobile or not? No, I never have. But I asked that exact same question on Twitter maybe three or four days ago, and I was surprised by the number of people who said not only have they done it, but they've done it through airline apps, yeah. not through not through OTAs or or aggregators, which was even more surprising. Um, I I I think that the more of a uh, not power user that makes us sound better than we actually are, but but frequent travelers who have very specific needs on on uh, alliances or airlines or or whatever are looking for fare classes. I think are less likely to book on a mobile. If you just need to get from A to B, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Then again, uh, the the Google report I mentioned before said that business travelers thirty six. What was it? No, thirty percent. Around thirty percent. I don't remember. Around thirty percent who actually buy through their smartphone. I they don't. It. The interesting part is, uh, Google do not does not count tablets as part of mobile, which I think is kind of right because tablets have a more. It's almost like a desktop. I'm not saying that the apps on the iPads are uh, there might be closer to your iPhone. But the type of behavior you you have on your tablet might be closer to having a, a desktop search. So it's it, it's still rising. Uh, so this is why most of the, uh, the the names we mentioned throughout this segment actually have a, a mobile app, uh, and more and more people are are, are doing so. And I'm actually uh, I didn't see that 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 question you answered uh, you asked on Twitter, but I'm not surprised that more and more people do. I think around it must be, I think, uh, the, the Criteo, that same um, company I just mentioned, they, they also released a report that I will I'll link to. And I think the, uh, the, there's, there was a year-on-year 20% increase in the world of, of people, you know, booking through, through mobile. So it actually goes there. You know, you trust, okay. if you trust a brand, and that might be the, that might be the reason why people go through to airline apps is because I trust Lufthansa. And I know that if I'm on Lufthansa and I need that flight, because, again, I, I know that from point A to point B I need that flight, uh, why not just buy it from there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's. I would be interested to know from the audience what sites you use and do you book on mobile sites. So, so hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook uh, or on Google Plus and let us know where what your go-to site is and if you book on mobile. I think we we and everybody else would be really interested to to hear and to share those links. Exactly, and that will close that chapter. I think we'll, again, because it's something we do, both of us, uh, very often, booking flights, so we'll, I'm sure we'll go back with uh, news about this. Moving on, uh, we had a question. So the question of the week, uh, we said in the first two shows that we would like actually a member of the audience asking us a question, and the first question is uh, by a friend of mine that actually supported us from the beginning because he sent a lot of feedback through through social channels. It's Gen Kanai. He's uh, based in Tokyo, Japan. He works for Mozilla. And he asked a question that's a bit uh, hard to answer because he asked the question, delicate. which delicate is the right word? Which airlines would you not fly out on, and why not? Ha. So <laughs> I don't know if you want. I, I did some. There are, you know, in, in that the, the issue is that with that kind of question is there's a lot of a lot of it is actual facts, and there's a lot which is uh, how do I say that? You know, superstition. Or rumors, you know, there are clearly stuff that you not you don't want to fly. So if you, so the EU, for instance, releases a list a list every year of, of flights uh, airlines that are banned from flying within the EU. Uh, the list is exhaustive. I'll, I'll put the link uh, as well in the show notes. All the airlines that are basically on that list, I'm pretty sure I would never fly them. <laughs> uh, because there are really some very strange airlines. The FAA, so in the United States, they do not release a list of airlines, but they release a list of countries which are banned from flying, for operating on uh, U.S. airspace. Uh, and I'll take an example, because I've lived there as well, the Philippines. 
So, have I flown fly, uh, internal flights to the Philippines? Yes, I've flown, I've flown Philippine Airlines, which is an okay company, so I, I would actually fly them again, but it's true that I've flown also some low-cost carriers within the Philippines, and I'm not actually, I was not actually entirely sure uh, that they were completely uh, standard. I didn't die, I'm here to talk about it. Uh, so, I guess this is where it becomes a bit blurry, because how do you define if that... So they are, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk, I'll continue after. Maybe you have another take on that. How you would you choose an airline to fly and not to fly on? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. Um, I think that the list of airlines I would fly on is a lot shorter than the airline list of airlines I wouldn't fly on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm very picky about the airlines I would fly on. I like the way that Europe does it. I think it's very sensible. It is... Um, it, it's done by country and then by carrier and then by 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 specific airplane. So um, there are some where they have said everybody, every airline from this country is not allowed to fly to Europe except this particular airplane. Um, and I like it because like Kazakhstan uh, is not a great. Um, hasn't got a great reputation for airworthiness, except their flag yeah. carrier, Air Astana, is absolutely first rate. They're a four-star SkyTrack airline. Amazing! Four stars! Four stars. They're only one in all of that region, including Russia and Central and Eastern Europe. They are a very good airline. They're 49% owned by BAE Systems, and all of their, or a lot of their management staff come from other extremely noted uh, and successful airlines like, like Cathay Pacific. So to, to say that no airline from Kazakhstan to, can fly is, is unfair, frankly. Um, but having said that, I, I look at a lot of these, these countries and a lot of the carriers, and they've all had major maintenance issues, major safety issues, unstable governments, um, like above the average hull loss per year and, and passenger death per year. Um, I would, I would add, the, so the International Civil Aviation Organization, uh, which is part of the United Nations, also do, uh, does uh, standard reviews, uh, and they actually give warnings as well. So I, I, I'm not sure, though, they have a list available to the public. I will look it up, and I'll, and I'll let you know, guys, if I find one. The interesting part is that they, so the way that they, they will actually say something is that they will actually put warnings on some states, which doesn't mean that that, nation has either a bad history, but you can't imply that, oh, they might not have enough resources to to ensure that the quality of care of aircraft and also the airport and all the ecosystem around, around aviation is good enough. So that's that's one source. The other source is the IATA based in Geneva. They also have, they also run, you know, um, um, certifications. And so most of the airlines that are on the IATA should be good. I mean, there's a lot of plane, there's a lot of actually, uh, especially in, thir in in emerging countries, a lot of um, carriers are not on the IATA. So they also run tests, and uh, so that could be another source to actually to look it up. I know I'm I'm very technical here. I'm not saying this is an airline to avoid. <laughs> Uh, and yet, and you know, and maybe, and there are some other, you know, private resources. I think there's, you know, airline ratings is one when the people actually rate airlines. And interestingly, because you just mentioned uh, aircrafts, uh, they actually they have a five star system. I think it's five, and they remove a star if the aircraft uh, has been uh, is a Rus Russian built, uh, which basically means you know from the USSR. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. I think it's a, it's a, that's an interesting one because you have, you have companies like uh, Sukhoi, which is Ukrainian, um, but was part of obviously the Soviet Union uh, when it, when it started. Um, it's a delicate topic, um, and it actually for airplane nerds, it's, it's a really a hard topic because you have these airlines which are banned uh, that are operating these. Beautiful and yeah. basically antique airplanes. Like there's an airline in Iran called Saha Airline, which up until recently was still running 707s. Oh. <laughs> and then Air Koryo, the, the the carrier from North Korea. I mean, you know what? 
I'm sure they're unsafe in a certain way, but I'm sure that if I were to visit, I would like to fly a short haul just to have done it once in my life. So that's Absolutely. the thing. We all have our limit and our risk and the risk we are going to take. It's true that uh, there are some countries I would never fly in. There are some the, the major airlines I don't have a problem with, right? Uh, so and and I think the other because when I talk to people and we're not talking to them here about airplane uh, airplane nerds, we're talking about the regular people I talk to. The some people have a, a bit of superstition and about locus locus carriers, and I'm telling them, you know what, a, f a fleet from EasyJet or Ryanair is actually very recent. It's uh, most more recent than I say, and I'm not bashing anyone here. KLM, they have their 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 you know the average age of a, of an aircraft on low cost airlines is the big ones actually is actually very very young. Don't yeah, agree. absolutely. They're they're. I think Ryanair's got one of the youngest fleets in Europe and one of the biggest fleets in Europe. Um, and they have something that uh, because of cost, they only run a single aircraft. They have one single aircraft, so they really know that aircraft very well. It's true that it's because they want to actually reduce costs and not to have to cater for many aircrafts, but meaning also, or implying at least, that they know that single aircraft very well. So I wouldn't say that avoid LCCs because that would be also a very bad, uh, very bad uh, idea. But basically, in major countries, Western, and I don't especially like that, that term, I, mean, I think it's okay. Yeah, I agree, and I think if you know you're really worried about it, check the, one of those blacklists. See if your airline's on it, um, and I, then I would strongly suggest reconsidering your booking if they are on that list. Exactly. I'll put all the links in the show. So, and to finish, uh, because again we're running at almost one hour because we said we wanted to stay within that band, uh, the uh, airport of the week, SFO. So it's almost. Uh, like a home airport for you, Alex. It is. It's uh, it's a great airport. Um, and it's yeah, it was. It is kind of one of one of my many home airports, which sounds I know a little bit uh, contradictory, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a great airport that has been we kind of going through a regeneration for decades now. Uh, because of for various reasons, one in the 1989 earthquake, um, the international terminal was uh, or the then international terminal was damaged substantially. Um, and then when the new international terminal opened um, about 10 years ago, nothing happened with what became Terminal 2. It was empty, and you could walk through it. It was eerie and weird to be able to walk through a ghost terminal. There was all the stuff was still up, um, but there was there's no life in it. It was quite quite strange. But now it has been re-energized. It is now the home of Virgin America and American Airlines. Um, <laughs> the one thing you should know when you're flying in San Francisco is it's not in San Francisco. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like it's about 20 miles away, so you have to plan your transfer pretty carefully if you're trying to get into the city. <laughs> that's there with a lot of people. Last time that would be one piece of one piece of uh, maybe trivia, and I I don't know if it's still valid because I haven't flown there for a long time, but I think parking is still actually okay. You can still yes, actually... parking is good. It's, um, and it's cheap. I mean, it's not in some airports. It's just crazy to leave, to leave your car in an airport. You will basically just you can buy a new car with the amount of <laughs> the, the the ticket parking. But on, on SFO, it's actually pretty cool. So if if you have a car in in San Francisco and uh, you actually want to leave it at the airport, I think it's pretty it's pretty okay. I think there's even a cap. I'm not sure it's still the case, but it's even a cap. And uh, since we're both uh, we both like our apps, I th I'm not sure that Uber can come at yes. SFO. Yeah, they do. Um, oh, they do. Okay. They do. Yeah, and there's Bart, which is the which is the kind of train service that will take you into the city as well. It's cheap. It's pretty fast, but it's definitely definitely loud. Um, if you have time when you're in San Francisco Airport in the International Terminal, there is a fantastic museum. That is oh, yeah. Yeah. built to it's a replica of the original terminal from um, from the early 20th century. I think 19, 1927 is when it opened. And so not only is it a beautiful uh, um, building inside, um, it also has a bunch of, of, of kind of rotating displays. And San Francisco Airport, I don't know why they do it, but I'm so glad that they do. They have these wonderful displays of, uh, they rotate maybe once a quarter of any type of subject. Sometimes it's bicycles or um, 
old cameras or and they're beautifully curated and they're spread throughout the airport and you can while away hours just looking at these total, total sometimes they're aviation related like they're old uniforms or and sometimes they're not like the last time I was there it was it was fast food mascots through the ages <laughs> and it's all like museum quality stuff so it's a real oh. gem of an airport you know it's not the operationally whatever it's 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 an it's a major international airport that has its problems but that kind of thing makes it stand out. And on that, uh, this is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, everyone. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+, etc., etc. Just go to layovers.2. Uh, to, it's T-O. I know we don't have a .com. Sorry, guys. Uh, that's where you can find all the information about uh, all our presence online. And please, please, please continue give us, to give us feedback. Because that's very important to us. We're still, as you can see, ironing out the edges, making the show better. Whether it's because you want to submit a piece of news, a question of the week, because you want to mention something about a mistake we might have done, because we're not always, sometimes we do mistakes when you say something, or maybe because you want to intervene at some point in the show in the future, or because you think that the quality of the sound is not great yet, or anything, please do not hesitate. We love getting feedback because we really care about that show. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I want to give a special thank you to the people on... Uh, the aviation subreddit on on reddit.com who have been so positive and uh, just given us great feedback and they're the ones who, who told us so much about the the, uh, the 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 podcasting sites and apps and everything like that so so thank you to to people like low and fast and uh, Fisher six two six six for for those contributions really really appreciate it thank you thank you everyone and Alex I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Good speed.